the Steve Cash Show, Jim Parisi Show, and the Jake Feinberg Show. And we thank you for making us part of your day today. Without further ado, I want to bring an iconic music figure, a guy who's been working it out on the bandstand since his teenage years, all the way now to 2016, where he's coming this Saturday to the Tucson Jewish Community Center to perform the one-hit Wanderer. Henry Gross, welcome to the Jake Feinberg Show. Thank you. I'm, I'm currently trying to survive. An, an Englishman has brought a banjo into my house. Well, there's nothing wrong with that. Well, I don't know. I'm, I'm, I've called the exterminator, but I, but it has, you know, I don't. They, they say they can't remove the banjo. You need to have it. That it's toxic material. <laughs> <laughs> well, not, not to me. I mean, I, I've been, you know, I've interviewed. Uh, no, no. Of course, we love the banjo. I'm just kidding. Well, also, anyway, I mean, I'm you here. know, I mean, you know, a guy like Bill Keith, rest in soul. He was one of my last. Oh, Bill Keith was great. He played all over my pal Jonathan Edwards' records. Jonathan Edwards, listen to you pull it out. Listen, uh, Henry, I just wanted you to talk about organic create creation. Just in, in your mind, your concept of how you come up with new ideas and new thoughts, multi-sensory ideas. I'm just, I want to get outside the box here. You're an outside-the-box cat. You've been doing it forever. And we live in a very formulaic time, especially in music. And I wanted you to talk about yes. organic creation. Well, that's a good. That's a, that's good, and I'm I'm glad you asked me that because you, you didn't you didn't ask me uh, the, the same old questions, which is great. That's the special um, thing about the Jake Feinberg show. <laughs> well, we love it, Jake. Yeah, thank you. We love it. Thank We're you. Loving it already. <laughs> no, the thing about it is, really, as a writer, of course, you know, it's the obvious things that you say to people when they ask you how do how do you write or what you do is you is, is the, the, the key to it is listening. You know, you listen to. You listen to the world, and you and you and you watch very carefully, and you know you're really an observer, and so you, you note the detail because the smallest detail can make can pull on the biggest heartstring. You know, it can really pluck the the, 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 the widest heartstring. It's the little detail of life, and and for me, um, I studied comedy, which I continue to do to this day because I, you know, they, there's an old saying that uh, dying is easy, comedy is hard. And that, that's certainly true. And so if I come up with a song, like I, I wrote a song about uh, on my, my new record, uh, it was on one of the last records I did called Rhymes and Misdemeanors. There was a song about a guy who, who uh, you know, has is, is, is married a girl, and then he realized that she has several personalities. And the song is called I Don't Know How to Tell Her Apart. You know? And, uh, you know, he doesn't, and the same can be true of women talking about men. You know, we, we all have different personalities, and you discover them later on. But these are things that you, you know, aren't normally touched in a pop song. And or I'll write something like, let's open a bottle of wine. And uh, it's what people do when they open a bottle of wine, is they whine, W-H-I-N. <laughs> so you have to think about language and think about things that move you and, and say it in a way that you haven't heard it. And that's the challenge of it. But really, it's listening, because people in conversation will say things, and it just goes by. But I'll listen carefully, and I'll, and I'll come up with um, a title, you know. And, and someone was talking about, uh, I was talking to a friend about his divorce. And he said, uh, he said, you know, he's having a very bad divorce, and he said, she took everything. And it hit me uh, and became a great song that's going to come on my next record, and it and I wrote, uh, she took everything but the blame. <laughs> wow. Because, because if you listen to what people say, or 
you know, and, not, not or, but and, you listen to what people say and complete the thought in your mind and listen to what you say. Because if you ask me, how do I come up with my ideas? I, I'm a ranter. You know, I'm a, I'm a ranter. So I'll, I'll get on the phone and rant with people, whether it's on politics. I, I'm a joke teller. And actually, in my house right now, I'm going to tour in England. Uh, I'm going to leave in two weeks. Joe Brown is here. He was George Harrison's best friend, and we're doing theaters all over England, um, just the two of us. Wow. A solo tour, yeah, for Joe and myself. It's his first solo tour. He's, Joe's 75 years old, and this is the first time he done, he's done solo tour. So it's going to be the Joe Brown, one, the two-man, one-man show. But um, we're great buddies, and we were just sitting here, uh, you know, learning a, a song for the show. And the thing about it is, you a, a great song. What makes a great song? A great song is something that elicits an emotion. Does it make you laugh? Does it make you cry? Does, but it's got to do something. It just can't be a blah. And your best songs will always have that. I have a song called Lucky Me that is in the one-hit wanderer show, so I'm sort of in a way loath to talk about it because I wanted to surprise the audience. But... The opening line is, the waitress asked me if I'm famous. I said, no, but I'm hungry. You know, that, that, <laughs> that says everything I want to say about just about everything. You know? I love it. No, I mean, it's, it's, it's a perfect answer. I, I'm curious. I mean, you, you had such a, uh, I mean, you were up on the bandstand early in your career. Could you talk about how impacted you were by some of the beat writers that were coming out of the New York area? Well, when you say the beat writers, you would go, uh, if you're talking about um, h- how far do you want to get with it, because... I want to go as deep as, as possible, because those cats... Okay. Yeah, well, go let's ahead. Go, let's go very deep. Yeah. And, and let, me, let me find my reading glasses. I mean, because I have a, a, something that I wrote um, that I do, which is not in my show, but not in this show anyway. Right. But there was a night I was playing in New York City last year, and I was doing my show, and I was in the middle of the show, and it hit me. I said, well, what, I had this song that I was working on, and it hit me that it wasn't a song at all, that it was just something, that it was a spoken word. So I did it as spoken word, and the guy who was there who owns the New York Review of Books, and he went crazy over it because it was a lot of fun. And there's something happens in music. There's sort of a new rule that fun is verboten, you know, no fun. Music. Everything has to be tug at the heartstrings. It takes itself so seriously. It's almost like the country itself. And to me, you know, I grew up on. Did you chewing gum lose its flavor on the bedpost overnight? You know, <laughs> along with other, well, as much as much that as as Howlin' Wolf. So it was allowed. Like I have a song that you would probably, you know. As an example, on I can't remember which record. It's, it's on a record of mine called Writer's Rank. And, and it's, uh, it goes, I saw a man eating fire, another one walking the high wire. I saw an honest politician, some dude with x-ray vision. But the most amazing thing I've ever seen, even better than that centerfold in Playboy magazine, was the night you picked up the check. Atheists began to genuflect. The earth stood still, the sea was parted, love came to the brokenhearted, nature's balance seemed to be upset the night you picked up the check. <laughs> you know? Wow. Everybody in the world knows that guy. But nobody wrote a song about it. So I, you, back to your idea of what inspires you, it inspires me to make an observation 
because I submit to you that if you were in a cave somewhere with Osama bin Laden, there's one guy in that, there used to be one guy in that cave that never paid for the hummus when it came. (laughs) So that's, you know, we all know that guy. He's the guy that, that kind of hovers behind people eating, hey man, are you eating those fries? That's probably the most, the most used line in the history of rock and roll. And on the same token, I'm right, I have a song called Tomorrow's Gonna Come. And the chorus of it is, you know, well, it goes like, like the last red rose of summer, bending in the autumn wind. I know I'm holding on to something coming to an end. I could turn the clock back every hour, but as sure as rivers run, no matter what I do tonight, tomorrow's going to come. Tomorrow I know she'll be gone, and though I hate to see the dawn, there's no way to stop the rising sun. I'll paint all the windows black and try to hold the daylight back, but no matter what I do tonight, tomorrow's going to come. I think that saying it, I'll paint all the windows black, it doesn't, you know, you try anything in the world to prevent the reality, the coming reality, you know? This is fast. This is and, yeah. You're already blowing my. <clears throat> but I mean, I mean, can you can you say that you were inspired by uh, not just the writings of these cats, but um, <clears throat> you know the, the 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 beat poets. You know, because I've done two interviews with Wavy Gravy, and I've I've interviewed all the Merry Pranksters. And I'm 38 years old, so I'm just searching for authenticity. But you said something interesting there. Why do you believe? Well, I'm going. I'm thinking about Lord Buckley. And the, yeah, Lord about. Buckley. I mean, dude, that dude used to used to be riffing poetry with a with an with a, with an Afro jazz quintet in the background. That to me is some of the hippest. Right. But I'm saying this is interesting. Why you talked about this seriousness? This idea that all of a sudden we can't. There's no humor. There's no fun. Um, you. No, there's no fun. And what, what, Everybody, and then, if you. Yeah. I mean. Everybody is doing, considers themselves um, a, a serious person. You know, I mean, you even have, you know, I don't like to name artists because it's not fair to pick on particular artists. And it's, I don't like people to do it, so I won't do it. And it's not even fun because it's so easy to do. Uh, these people lay themselves out for it and they have it asking for it. But rather than, rather than give you the verbiage, I'll give you my version yeah. song. I'll, I'll just read it to you, a spoken word that I do on my next album. And I, and I have like a jazz band behind it, right? And I just speak this. And, it, and we, have this, we make it, there's an introduction. And, um, the, uh, and, and the artist that's theoretically reading this is a guy named Errol, um, Alan Errol Flinsberg. And it's, it's at the Hip Bagel Coffee Shop in 1959. Okay? And oh, I'm I dig, I dig, I dig. Go ahead, yeah, riff Okay, so, so this is the thing that I did that knocked out the guy from the New York Review of Books. Okay, it's called Geezers of Nazareth. And it goes, the high of the bypass, pumping irony, Milson cookie, the old man on the flea, hype springs eternal till death do us part. Standard, we're poor. What time do we smart? So wrote, so wrote Lloyd Byron to Williams Butler Yates. These nicks I'm with survived by their wits. So all hail, geezers of Nazareth. I'm a bereaver, the devil and Brian Jones. Lady looks like a dude, all dressed up, no vertigo. Big for my size, dowing out on Wall Street. You hurt my feelings. Look before you weep. 
So wrote Lord Byron to Oscar in the wild. These Greeks on with live up to the myth. So all hail, geezers of Nazareth. Sex at noon taxes. It's a paramour's palindrome. Boink, sweet Maria, now it burns like fireia when I got a modapia. Heaven helms me when the queen of mean gets home. A creature of hobbit, I want to hold your handle. As a debit of gratitude, we re-elect the vandal. Fiddling while Jerome kerns, never the vein shall meet. In a midlife Chrysler, on the money side of the street. So wrote Lloyd Byron to Sir Thomas More, or less. These gits I'm with love taking the piss. So all hail, geezers of Nazareth. Shakespeare leered at what George Bernard saw. Said Tennyson, anyone? Found Romeo with Lady Macbeth in flagrant delicto, all out of breath, dropping their stockings, catching their decks, singing all hail, geezers of Nazareth. If you don't know what I said, you know what you heard. So come fly with me right over the spliff, and all hail, geezers of Nazareth. All hail, geezers of Nazareth. <laughs> that's some of the best i mean dude i i could have been out there on the you know on the streets of berkeley somewhere in you know in, in the late 50s and that you know i mean that's what i'm it's 1959 and a great that is that is that is my version of lord buckley and and so you know i i'm trying to honor the music i grew up with but give it a twist that's uniquely mine and it really you have to do the work People, you know how many people I meet, and they say, "What do you mean?" The guy comes up, guys come up to me when I'm playing, go, "I, I, I write songs," and I go, "Yeah, let me hear one." And they go, "Well, I got this chorus here, I got this verse here." And I, that, that's not writing. Writing is, I re re-recorded. I, I put out 21 songs on my uh, 20, 21 songs on all my CDs now. I go back, and if there's one line that I've improved in a song that is seriously has held up over the years that I love. I re-record the whole song for the sake of that one improved line. It's a work in progress. If you want a vote, if you want to be an artist and you're not going to be a brand name artist, and you want boats and nice cars, please don't play me your music. If you want to spend your life savings recording and making the best records you can possibly make out of the best songs you can imagine, I'm all in with you. Because that's what I do. I, I spend my life's work. I'm very boring. I don't want to. I don't want to go to restaurants. I don't like cars. I don't care about stuff. I just care about instruments that inspire me, and the challenge of finding something that you're not even seeing me, and I'm able to get to you. That's what's important to me. Why do you live? And, why do you live in uh, the most cutthroat? musical environment in our country right now I, you i mean you hail from well you're in Nashville. Right, well now now that's a big statement now of course there what, what what makes you think i live there i have a i have a beautiful place that i bought 30 years ago right and i don't the people in my house are mostly the greatest british musicians and songwriters of the last 50 years I mean, Joe Brown is here today. I cannot I'm believe that. that. I can't believe that. <laughs> and, and, you know, so it's funny because a, a guy, a promoter called about an hour ago, and, and as a joke he got on, he was doing an English accent, so I handed the phone to Joe. And Joe goes, Joe goes, why are you talking like that? 
I don't know what you're saying. You, you need to improve your accent, mate. And the guy thinks he's talking to me. <laughs> and it was, it was so, and it was so funny. But like Roger Cook comes here, you know, Roger wrote it. I'd like to teach the world to sing Long Cool Woman in the Black Dress. You've got your troubles, I've got mine. These are the people I work with in Nashville. I mean, Joe has a place in Nashville. He also lives in, in England where we'll be staying at his place for a couple of months. But, um, you know, so I'm in Nashville, and I'm surrounded by people that when you go somewhere, someone says, what do you do? And I say, well, I, I, you know, I perform and I write songs. When I used to say that to people years ago in New York where I grew up, they'd say, yeah, but what do you do? <laughs> You know, at right. least people, at least, and I also have, I spent part of the year in Florida. And, uh, I, you know, I, I, I test, as I say to people, I tested positive for Floridia. <laughs> so you get down with it. I mean, you know, I mean, do you, do you, do you, I mean, you're, like you said, you're not into the material world. It's not something that even no, phases I'm into, you. Yeah. But I, my question is, you know, as a young artist, uh, to me, I, I look at it, uh, I look at nowadays, I'm in Tucson, you know, and, and there's this whole sort of um, movement now with artistry, musician-wise, that's not a profession. Uh, it's pay to play. It's pay, play for the door. Um, whereas before, um, I mean, again, in Europe, how many ja- how many black African jazzers left the United States, not just because of, of the racism, but because they actually were treated with the respect as musicians, they got paid. But, I mean, can you talk about fundamentally this idea of having to sing for your supper but being acknowledged as an artist that an artist was a profession at one time? I mean, to me, it's like it's gone by the wayside now in many ways to say, well, it's just music. It's just it's music. It's background noise. It's not. I mean, the idea that. It is no longer seen as a profession, especially for younger cats. I'm not talking about people that have already carved out a legacy. I'd just like you to riff on that for a minute. Well, you know, all I can say to people is that I had a great career, and then I had no career. And now, for some inexplicable reasons inexplicable to the mortal man, I've decided to reinvent myself at, at age 65. And I, as I said before, you can't, you can only control in life the things that you can control. And it's pointless to worry about things you can't worry about. So some people will sit and say, oh man, I can't get any gigs. It's all pay to play. And it's all this. And you can see that the world that way, if that's how you choose to see it. Or you can say, I'm going to sit home and I'm going to write a little blues song and it's going to go like this. Morning is fine for drinking wine, because I'm having a glass in the, when I was having a glass in the morning, because I was, you know, tough times. But you can take it and be miserable, or you can write, morning is fine for drinking wine. No better way to pass the time. Wasted for another day. Jobs are gone anyway. Hanging around, nothing to do. Need some help to see me through. Had several bottles, now they're done. Must have had a lot of fun. Troubles just around the bend. Two $10 bills left to spend. Once I liquidate those twins, got to answer for my sins. The wrath of grapes, the wrath of grapes, makes me quiver, shiver, and shake. Too much of a good thing is all it takes to suffer the wrath of grapes. Now you can write that. I, I mean, but you are making this, first of all, Power Talk has never, never been privy to this, this amount of just mel- uh, melodic poetry. It's just unbelievable flow from Henry Gross right now. 
and we are on. Well, no, 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 but I want to ask you. This is important, but I, I know, I know what you're saying. You know, it's it's make it what make life what it is. Don't you can look at it glass look, half empty or glass half full. I go. You know, a lot of people love to go out and play to the part to the audiences that remember their old hits because it's easy. Freaking drives me you nuts, just, dude. It drives these people. You are, play the yeah. you play the intro and everybody claps. So me, I love to play where nobody knows me. Because I go, and I don't care if there's 10 people or 20 people or 100 or 200, you know, or God willing, 300. But, you know, I will go out, and I've reinvented myself. I came to Nashville. You want to talk about Nashville? I came here. I recommend everyone that plays, writes, or aspires to create move to Nashville. Although it's getting tough now, because now the house prices have gone up and the word is out, and it's, it's a, it was Mayberry, and now it's trying to be Atlanta. Well, they're calling it, but, they call it Nash Vegas. Yeah, but you know, there is that. I mean, there, there are the girls with the fringe hanging off the back of their boots and all that that look like <laughs> they're trying to get a job in the rodeo. I get that. But there's also, John Prine lives around the corner from me here. Oh, you know, so what I'm saying, there's all, kinds of, there's all kinds of people here. And judging a place um, by, by, by its reputation, you know, they're basically, when you live in New York City, or you live in Tucson, you only live in your perceived bubble in your head. You're not really in Tucson. You're in this little phone booth with glass doors and windows. You're in this little British phone booth. And you look outside that little phone booth of your bubble of life. And you could have that bubble in Nashville. You could have that bubble in Alaska. You could have it in, in Moscow. It doesn't matter if your preoccupation with your breathing moments is to search and find the, the, the message. And it doesn't all have to be clever like I've been reading this. It could be, and I had a big country hit. I came to Nashville and had a big country hit, with a, but not with a traditional country act, with Black Hawk, which my buddy Henry Paul from the Outlaws band. Wow. And the song's called, and, and it was called, it went, Hey boys, take a look right here. Only one comes around every million years. She's a midnight rider on a shooting star, makes the whole world ring like a big guitar. Now, that's, to me, I don't find that to be something written between noon and, you know, 10 o'clock in the morning and lunch. You know, that was a really heartfelt thing. So I think that you can make anything positive out of anything you want. If you come to the show that I'm doing, uh, which is not, you know, why not plug it? Yeah, you so Saturday, yeah, Saturday at the JC. Go ahead. Yeah, absolutely. Do it. You'll see something very different than you're expecting. Because most, not most, first of all, I wrote this show, began writing it in earnest long before anyone even considered the idea of doing a one-man show to do with the music, life and music. And so I was doing this long before that. And... I, was, I had the benefit of some very big Broadway producers getting me a director to start off who had directed, he, teach, you know, he taught uh, playwriting at Juilliard. So I really got an education before as I was, as I was putting it together. And then uh, I, I got even a, a, an amazing director who had been uh, errata trained and ran a theater for nine years. And, and he helped me with it, you know, with, with how I moved around and certain lines and things like that. But basically... What, what, they, what most of these rock and roll shows are, and this is not to put them down, they're really cabarets as opposed to theater because what they do is they go, 
yeah, I was with my brother, and then I got this idea, and I wrote this song. And that's a cabaret. That's basically just a you know, music show, and you're telling stories around the song. That's right. In my show, the songs actually advance the story, like in a play. Now, that doesn't mean it's better. It just means it's different. My show is written like a play. It's a 90-minute play. And so I've been practicing for this show Saturday for three weeks because I can't miss a word. If I do, the story falls apart. It's written on a pinhead. It's written like the songs I just read you. So it's a very different experience. And hopefully, you know, you'll love it. Every time I've done it, people have really enjoyed it because, you know, it's, 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 you, the work that went into it will be obvious. And, and so I have my level. A lot of people my age are doing victory laps. I don't have such a big victory that I can do victory laps. I'm reinventing myself. I'm st- I started at ground zero. Let me, but here's you the know? question. Here's the question. Could, but this is so important because I talk to cats and I won't name them either, but, uh, you know, guys that are, you know, they're, they're in bands and they're playing greatest hits from 30 or 40 years ago. Do you believe, mm-hmm. I mean, you say you don't have, it's okay. but what I'm saying is, is there an internal burn for Henry Gross to continually reinvent yourself because you don't have to fall. Do you think you'd fall back on that on that lineage if you were, you know, living the high life? Well, let me say this. I don't disappoint people. When I play in Memphis, where I had about 10 hit records, people want to hear them. I play them. I'm delighted to play stuff I made up that came out of my head to people that makes them happy. It's wonderful. But it's also wonderful when they finally come around and let me do. Like, I'm looking forward to the day when I play in Memphis, which is my favorite place to play in the world, I'm looking forward to the day where they just want to hear my new stuff, where they, where they want to go with me. Because a lot of people don't like, for instance, you hear people say, oh, I don't want to go see Bob Dylan. He, you know, all he does is blow in the wind. Man, Bob Dylan is one of the greatest, probably the greatest artist in terms of uh, contemporary songwriting of our generation. And that, that there will never be another of. I mean, the guy, it's all right, Ma, I'm only bleeding. And then people say, well, he doesn't write like that anymore. Oh, yeah? Listen to Mississippi. Not as, the tight, not as tight as the corner I painted myself in. And then he says, you can come back, baby, but you can't come back all the way. I submit to you, that's better than it's all right, Ma, which is really clever stories about you know, stuff that any, anybody working hard enough could put together. But to put together, you can come back, baby, but you can't come back all the way. you got to be Bob Dylan to think of that stuff. That's, that's why he doesn't do two shows a night. And to me, I, I'm willing to go down the road with him wherever he goes. I'm happy to go down that road. Because he deserves your attention. He deserves your time. And there's no greater gift you can give anyone, especially an artist. And I say this at the end of every one of my shows. You know, I thank people for giving me their time. It's the greatest gift. And I'm willing to go down that road. I don't, for a guy that started Shana Now, I'm not, I mean, I love that music. I adore it. But I prefer to take you down the road of Wrath of Grapes, Geezers of Nazareth. I love Wrath Lucky of Grapes. I mean, do you, do you consciously go from de- century to century when you're like, I have to get, I have to touch on this. I have to touch on the 18th century. Like, you're, you're. Interesting. You're hitting on all these things. That's a very good question. Because the truth is, the hardest thing to make in this world 
is a listenable Henry Gross record. Because, I'm, <laughs> because most people, I have to record 70 songs and then divide it up into CDs so that they're listenable in some type of way. What I'm doing on my next CD that's, that's just about done, and I'll finish it when I get back to England, is I'm going to have songs grouped in threes, a mood that'll last three songs, and then I'll change the mood. And it's going to go through a lot of changes because there'll be like 20 songs on the album. So the answer is it's very difficult because if I write a song uh, or, or a you know, certain type, if I write a beautiful ballad, I don't want to write another ballad for six months. I want to write a country song, and then I want to write a pop song, then I want to write a jazzy song. You know, my interest, I was brought up, you know, listening to Buddy Holly, who went from, uh, you know, You're So Square, which, I mean, Elvis has done too, but, you know, You're So Square to True Love Ways, and he was only 21. You know, th that's the fun of it, to have a record with Helter Skelter on it, the White Album, and also have Good Night, Good Night on it. You know, just think, John Lennon wrote Good Night, Good Night, and he also wrote, you know, uh, did whatever. He, did, you he, know, did he write, uh, you know, did he write When I'm 65 or When I'm 64? Because, I mean, you no, said you had, a re, you had a rebirth at 65. Well, so what I'm saying, it was, it was longer. I moved to Nashville 30 years ago, and, and because I had sold 7 million records, but I wanted to be a better writer. I dig. And the writers that I could get in a room, or at least hopefully get in a room with, we're in Nashville because because at that time in about 19 mid 80s I came here in 1986 the only songs you could get cut as a songwriter were R&B songs in New York or LA and I don't have a particular passion for flipping the word hard around 65 different ways <laughs> and writing something that goes ooh baby you know and all that they don't, the world doesn't need me to do that. The world need, needs me to write, you know, Shannon, a song about a dog dying. I mean, everybody called it a corny, you know, this and that, and, you know, and, and, and said, well, it's one of the worst songs of, of all time. Yeah, until they lost their parents and they lost their dog or their brother got killed in a motorcycle, and all of a sudden I'm getting letters from hundreds of those people a year, hundreds saying, sorry, man, missed it, didn't get it. You were way ahead of me. Wow. It doesn't make me smart. It means that you have to be true to what's real in your life. My friend Carl Wilson lost his dog, and, you know, and I had a dog with the same name, same Irish setter. And when he told me that, it burned a hole in my heart, you know? So I wrote the song for him, sent it to him. Um, Henry, like an idiot, I, I thought the Beach Boys might record it. I had my head up my rear. I said, of course they're not going to record it. But in the meantime, I did it. I put it out. And it, sold, it sold millions of records around the world. So the truth will set you free nowhere more clearly than in songwriting and in performing. If people do not sense, I'm not here to lecture people. I'm not here to educate people. I'm here to entertain people but I'm not interested in entertaining morons, if I may be so rude, because they have plenty of entertainment. The, the, the TV and whatever it is, it's all full of people that are willing to entertain. You know, you can watch any halftime show at a football game, you know, on the on a Super Bowl. You can watch all that nonsense with people dancing around like, you know. You know, to me, 
you know, I, I'm not interested in that. I'm interested in the kinds of songs Ray Davies was writing, Waterloo Sunset. You know, I'm interested in that. I'm interested in, uh, you know, on a, a sunny summer, you know, sunny summer, sunny afternoon, you know, in the summertime. I'm interested in that. I'm interested in that kind of thought. You know, McCartney's great moments, his, his musical moments. I'm interested in all kinds of things. Dylan, I'm an old guy. I like, I, I like people that can sing and play. I like good use of language because certain people want to trash the world to control it. Don't let, let me get off on this, but because that's the agenda of globalists does not mean that you can't fight a battle from the other side by calling people up to a higher landing and by educating yourself to pull yourself up to that landing. And so I prefer to take that road, and I can't control the other people. But I can control this conversation to not make my part of it frivolous and stupid, to contribute to that lack of stupidity that's polluting everywhere, everyone's ears. So I think... If you're a songwriter and you're listening to what I'm saying, don't listen to the negative people. Because I wrote a song about a dog that died, and it's still burning 40 years later. And great people have covered it. You know, it's all over the internet. There must be 20 covers. Somebody, I can't remember the guy's name, Seth. He said, this guy's great writer. He's had a million hits, and he covered Chan. He did a beautiful version. I was honored by it. I just got it in the... Swirsky, Seth Swirsky. This guy's incredible. Great. Really talented. I was moved. 40 years later, he finds my song. You never know what life brings if you engage in life. But if you don't, and you just want to sit and be negative and go, oh, it's all pay to play. So what? When I got a record deal in the 70s, when I left Sean on, I got my first record deal in ABC, all people said to me, all the lawyers, well, they're not making deals now. If you give 100% of your heart, there's a deal for you. It doesn't, and now you don't need to be on a major label. You need to just take your guitar by yourself and go on a show. I just opened a show for Kansas. There were 5,000 people there in Oshkosh, Wisconsin. I went out by myself with a guitar. It was daylight. I mean, look up what happened. People lighting matches in the daylight. One guy with a guitar. It's not the noise that impresses them or touches them. It's the groove. It's that I'm singing, I got a cheap, wine, eyes blind, soul-shaking heartache, knocked me so low down, been crawling like a snake. Baby caught me rocking, and a love started stopping. Can't a poor boy ever make a mistake? Dog days by the Mississippi River, wailing like a stray cat in the back of the bar. No scratch, but I'm dying to deliver, got dead strings on my guitar. I got them dead strings on my guitar. You don't need a band. I don't even need a guitar to get over with that song. Because I am talking right to the hearts of people that know what I'm talking about. And the only reason I can do it is because, man, with all this stuff I'm playing, I make over $100 a year. So you know what I'm saying? Right. I'm, I'm in, I am working class. So I can... It's in my heart to write about it. I don't have to imagine it from, you know, from some posh perch. 
Henry, what, Henry, so, we, I want to do part two with you when you get back from England, but I have one final question for you. It's important. Yeah, I got to jump. Cause yeah, no, I just one final question. Uh, <clears throat> you know, I think we're living through a time of uh, conformity. Uh, I think the music is made for pacification rather than burning and visceral feel. I think this is stuff that you've been talking about. I wanted to know about your use of psychedelics and how that helped expand your consciousness and ultimately um, how it helped you grow as, a, as an individual and musically. I'll make it easy for you. I never did drugs, and that's why I can still sing and play, and I'm still walking without banging my knuckles on the ground. I'm not in favor of it. I don't think it helps. I think it's just another crutch. If it helps some people, God bless them. I'm not judging them. Didn't work. I'm, not, I'm just not interested in it. My father was a pharmacist. He had a drugstore. People broke in the wall of the store to dig, to dig through and get some Dilaudid or something. Why would I want to do that? Right. Right. Why, would I, why, would I want, why would I want something that would turn my life into that? No, it's good. When I could, when I could read you these lyrics. Well, I know. Why just, would I not? I just, uh, yeah, no, I got, I got the impression that maybe through, through uh, the, the wine in the morning, you might have thrown in a spliff there too. No, that was a very brief thing, and I really, I experienced it just long enough to write the song. <laughs> I, did. I, I don't. You let, have, you I have blown my let, mind, Henry. You have blown my mind today, man. You wide open. I've done 500 I'm interviews. Trying. I love the indigenous, creative, spontaneous, educated, sophisticated, uh, very stripped down, no trap set. You go out there with no guitar, and you could make people burn. And I think that that to me because, is because yeah because you what you are what you are doing when you're in front of my friend Joe Brown. Look, I'm 65 years old. I don't back up anybody. I've been asked to be in people's bands many times, very famous people. I've turned everyone down that's ever come my way. I'm going to do it for Joe Brown because Joe Brown is perhaps the best entertainer. I would say he's the best entertainer in England and, and in most of the world. He's smart. He's sharp. I learn from him every second I work with him. And this is the thing. Everybody just wants to sing their own songs. I, I, go in, I go into a music shop to leave a CD for a friend, and the kid, without even knowing what I do, reaches under the counter and says, hey, man, will you listen? To me? let me give you my CD. And he's got a droning pile of junk because he, 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 he hasn't used the brain God gave him to one-tenth of its potential. And he, he, without even knowing who he's talking to, not that I'm anything special, but maybe... He could have learned something. Instead, he's talking the whole time. So, you know, it's a funny world, but I refuse to be beaten down by it. And my hope is that after this, you know, you'll get some more people down to this thing Saturday night. It'll make the wonderful Ted Goldfinger happy because he went out on a limb to bring me to Tucson to try and, you know, do a show for people who are interested in something different. This is not one of my traditional music shows. Like when I go out on a concert, it's a different thing. I'm very proud to do it. I'm, I'm really, it's, it's, it'll be interesting. I can't wait and, to, yeah, and, no, and I, I, uh, I just. And I hope you reach people, and I hope that more people come down, because really, you know, more for, more for Ted than for me, because Ted is, has been wonderful. I mean, he's, got, he's a successful cardiologist, and. You know, it's not about the money, man. It's, it's not about whether or not, you know, I mean, I mean you know, did the, 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 the gig make a lot of money? Did it lose money? 
it's not about that. It's that you do things in this life that you believe in. It's almost like if I could leave everybody with a thought. Do you remember the scene at the end of Oh God with John Denver? Mm-hmm. When, when John Denver says to George Burns, who's playing God, he says, well, what did we accomplish here? And George Burns says, you put out the good word. You know, maybe some people will hear it. You planted a seed. That's what we do. Well, let me just finish by saying that uh, you friended me on Facebook, and I no one has their tentacles out farther than me, and many of these stories that you just shared today will be disseminated prior to your concert in Tucson. So it's going to be shared worldwide. And like you said, you refuse to get beaten down. And no. uh, and I, I look forward to you cranking on Saturday, man, and I look forward to, uh, to doing part two with you when you get back from uh, from overseas. Excellent. Thank it's you, sir. delightful. Yeah.